As some of you may be aware, it's possible you're aware that next week is Christmas Day, commonly called Christmas. We're in the quote-unquote holiday season. You can tell how thrilled I am about this. When you have 20 grandchildren, five children, several in-laws, and you have, how, what number do you think you should buy, spend per gift and not break the bank? What number do you think that would be? $50? Doesn't buy much today. 50 times 30, let's say. Okay, I, didn't, I can't even add it up. That's how bad it is. So sometimes I'm not as thrilled about this as I might might think I am. But in any event, it is the holiday season, and there are religious differences about this with people. I want to talk a little bit about that this morning without really going into it in great detail. But I will say this if you're a guest. If you come next week, and I hope that you do, you will not find us having a Christmas service, per se. That's not that's there's nothing in the New Testament that gives us any direction at all about a season called, quote, Christmas, or what the church should do about it, how to celebrate it as a church. And so we don't do that. Do we talk about Christ's birth? We do all the time. In fact, I'm going to do that this morning a little bit. That's generally what this title, A Body Thou Hast Prepared for Me, is. It's about the birth of Christ and Him coming into the world. But we don't celebrate as a church this holiday as such, nor do we have any direction from the New Testament to do that. There are individuals in this church who may want to celebrate December 25th as Christ's birthday. I suppose they can do that as individuals. We just don't have any Bible direction for anything of the sort. And therefore, we generally try to leave leave room for people to exercise their conscience in this matter. Some people here don't celebrate Christmas or Easter or any of those religious holidays because we have no direction in the Bible. Some don't celebrate them even personally. Other people do an Easter bunny thing at their house, and some people have a Christmas tree, some people don't. We try to leave each other alone about that, understanding that the Bible te- what the Bible teaches, that it's not in the Scriptures as to what we do. I don't believe anybody here that has a Christmas tree in their house is worshiping a tree god. If they are, I can't pick up on that, that they are worshiping the tree gods of the ancient Germans. That They may be, but it doesn't look like that to me. I don't think if you have have Easter eggs at Easter time, give them to your kids, some candy in for your grandkids to pick up, that you actually believe that that rabbits are gods of fertility and all that. I, I don't think that's what it used to be that way for some people. I don't think it is. But are they religious? Should we do something religiously about them? I say no. And so we don't hear. But some people assume from that, oh, you don't believe in the resurrection since you don't celebrate Easter as a holiday, which is a, even a pagan name, Easter. Oh, you don't celebrate Easter as a holiday in your church, so you don't believe in the resurrection. No, that's not true. We talk about the resurrection all the time. In fact, we sort of remember it every week when we, when we do this supper we're going to do later because Christ says you do this until I come again. Well, he if he wasn't raised from the dead, he's not coming again. So we do talk about it. and you don't believe in the birth of you don't believe in the birth of Christ since you don't celebrate Christmas. That's wrong. We obviously believe in the birth of Christ. We believe in keeping it like Christ said to keep it in the New Testament. That's not intended to be some kind of nasty criticism of uh, other people. That's just the way we approach things here. And I believe it's the correct way to approach things uh, here. And we would like to talk to you about that if you disagree. It would be fine. We'll talk about that. 
Uh, some people say since I don't believe in uh, the a future millennium of a thousand years where Christ is going to come and, and uh, Gog and Magog are going to be released in a literal way on the earth, oh, you don't believe in the second coming. Of course I believe in the second coming. Like the Bible teaches it. That's how I believe it should be. Not the way premillennialists believe it should be made up in the, in the last 150 years. I don't believe that, nor do we teach that here. But we certainly believe in the second coming. So don't confuse those things and say, well, since you don't have a Christmas service, you don't believe in the birth of Christ. It's not fair, and it isn't accurate. Okay, so now that we've said all that, let's talk about what I think is a very important verse about the birth of Christ that's often overlooked in our discussion about this. And something, a couple different things have made me think about this recently. One of them is... Uh, and I don't know what context it's in. I heard someone making a comment the other day that, yeah, the Internet must have. It's still up? All right. Excuse me for a second. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, as I always say. We'll see if we can uh, get this back up here on the screen. I have no idea why it just made a funny noise and... That made a funny note. Did it, that, was it that? When you're half deaf, I don't know what direction sounds are coming from. So uh, anyway, I told someone the other day, those little beepers that go off, little timers and beepers. It's not just because I'm old and half deaf. I've never been able to tell what direction those are coming from. I can't always tell if it's beeping over there, over there. It all sounds, maybe I have surround sound hearing. I don't know. Any, any event, I think it was behind me. We're going to talk about this verse. I was talking to someone the other day, and they kind of casually mentioned that that, that the body is not important. I probably was one of my brothers because we, we went three of my a couple of my brothers and I went to went to my parents and grandparents' graves the other day to put some flowers on their graves at this time of year because they my mother and grandmother both like poinsettias, so they got some and took them. We went to the grave, and, and they, well, they didn't do what I wanted to do. All of us are space. Most of us that were there are supposed to be buried right there near them, uh, and so uh, I want us all to lay down on our graves next to the graves that are already there. There's my grandparents and my parents and my aunt and uncle, and, and I'm in between the two of them. My dad, brother Dan, his. I want us all to lay down. Have one of the others take a picture of all of us, you know, in our graves. They wouldn't do it. There's a bunch of killjoys around my in my family, but anyway, um, we went down there. To see these graves, and one of my brothers was talking about how it doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. I said, "Yeah, it does matter. I know Mom and Poppy are not right there. Not I said, but I said I don't believe that. Not all of them are right there, but part of them is right there. Their bodies are right there, and that's important. And one day, I believe, and you do too. I told my brother, you do too, that their bodies are going to come right out of this hole, right there. That body's going to come right out of there and be reunited with the spirit." So, so don't discount the body. Christ died to save your body from decay. And he's going to resurrect it and make it like it ought to be one day. That's what I believe is right what the Bible teaches. And of course, so don't discount the body. So I thought of this verse here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. He's in a broader subject about Christ and the Old Testament and so forth. But the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore... When he came into the world, he said, quoting the psalm, quoting a prophecy in the Psalms, 
sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. A majestic passage. And what he says here, he's telling you about this fact that at one time in human history, there was no Christ, there was no Jesus, there was only a prophecy veiled, given in veiled form to Eve and kind of veiled form to Abraham and others that there was someone coming who would save them from their sins, deliver them from Satan. But what had to happen that they didn't really understand is that God himself was coming. But God was not just coming as a spirit. God was coming in a human body as a man. And that's why it says here, you weren't satisfied with sacrifice and burnt offerings like the law. You gave them the law. You gave them that. and They should keep that. But that wasn't the end of the matter. That wasn't even the, the desired goal. The goal was that I was that God himself was going to be the sacrifice. Animals wouldn't work. And so you prepared me a body. Not the body of a lamb or a goat or a sheep. But you prepared me a body, he says. And I inhabited that body. And I came to the earth to do thy will, O God. This is what Christ is saying in prophecy, and the writer of Hebrews says he said it by what he did. Is this about Christmas? Well, yes and no. There is no Christmas in the Bible. It's a human holiday. You can keep it and have fun if you want to. But this is about the incarnation, as it's often called, the birth of Christ, which the Bible speaks a lot about. Incarnation uh, is a, from a, the Latin uh, the carne part is meat, like we say chili con carne with meat. We have a carnival. A carnival is something to the flesh, because the word carne means flesh. And so this is Christ coming in the flesh. That's what's predicted in the Old Testament. And I think this is a prophecy about the incarnation that was made in the book of Psalms. And he says here that you prepared me this body. Bodies important or very important. That God took the time and specifically prepared a body that Jesus Christ would have. Oh, it came in the same way the human bodies looked. It was the same in Mary's womb as it was in every other woman's womb when she was carrying a child. And she, it was, he was born like every other child has been born in the broad scope of things. And then his body began to change and grow. Luke chapter 2 tells you that he grew, he grew in stature and knowledge and favor with God and men. It tells you about his growth. His body was growing. His spirit was growing. His mind was growing as he grew up. A lot of mysteries there that can't be completely explained that have caused lots of debate over the centuries. But I believe that's true. I believe it's true even the parts I don't understand are true, that this is what happened with Christ. He came as a man. Was he God? Of course. And even says, though, in the same book of Hebrews here, that though he was a son, yet learned he obedience in the things that he suffered. There's obviously an element in Christ of growth into the final product we see hanging on the cross. There was growth. How do we explain what that all means? I, I don't know the answer. I can explain some of it. The rest of it is, is a paradox or a mystery that God has. But this is important. God didn't want fine. Finally, in the end, he didn't want the sacrifices he told the Jews to give them. That was a temporary thing to teach them something, to teach us something. 
But what he wanted was a bodily sacrifice. The picture of a sacrifice, we'll come to this maybe a little bit later in the lesson. I'll try to to compress things a little bit. The idea of a sacrifice is not just to take the place of something else. A sacrifice was, was the fact that you laid the sins on the animal and that became then the thing that could be killed or put to death. And you were expiating the, sac- the sins when you killed the animal. So a sacrificial offering was just something that you did that was ceremonially replacing you, not actually replacing you. So Christ's body became something that God set up that would satisfy his anger. When we, you know, it's funny. We say this, maybe we say it the wrong way. I'll say this, maybe we can talk about it a little bit later in the sermon. But when we talk about God came to save us, Christ came to save us, save us from what or who? Well, I'll tell you who it is, to save us from God himself. Christ came and died to save us from the wrath of God himself. Our sins, given God's nature, had alienated mankind from from him, and that includes you and me by what we've done. We're cut off from God, and only thing that can rest upon us is God's wrath because of his righteous nature. But God didn't want it that way. That's the way it was. That's what his nature dictated. He didn't want it that way. He wanted to save us instead, and so he came up with the idea in his own mind, his own way of loving us, that he would take the place of us and he would himself send his son to die for us. So he would expiate or appease his wrath, what that's called in the Bible is a propitiation, an appeasement of his wrath by offering himself. So what God saves us from is his own wrath. And He would, if, he, if we didn't have this expiation and those sinners who refuse to accept Christ, because he is the only place you can find this shelter from the wrath of God, he would, he casts away. You know, some other things it says here. Here's the purpose. Why did Christ come? Well, today you hear, well, Christ came so that the poor could have more to eat and, and better housing. He came for clean water in Africa. Did he? He came so that all of us could have justice on earth. Is that why Christ came? No. Those are good things. And people who are Christians will see that those things get done as best they can in the name of Christ and help their neighbor and their friends. But that's not why Christ came. It says here in Matthew 20, and Jesus himself speaking about how it was going to be in his kingdom. And he's talking about the fact that whoever desires to be great among you, let him become your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And so he says in verse Matthew 20, 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Yes, he served people, but the serving wasn't even the physical things that he did to fix diseases and blindness. Those were indications of his divinity because what he really came to do was give his life a ransom for many. How did that happen? How, how did it happen? How did it work out that he gave his life a ransom? Ransom is when you buy something back that's in captivity. So here we are, bound under the wrath of God, bound to Satan, and Christ comes and gives his life as a ransom. Now God set that up. God designed that even though he was the one who was angry with man because man is a sinner and angry with you because of your sin, he set up that Christ would be the ransom. So we switch one for the other. I don't know if it's a story illustrates this or not. There's a story of this old king 
who discovered that money was missing from his treasury. So he had his court investigate this, and they discovered, he said, bring this thief before me that they might be punished. When they brought the thief in, here was his mother. It was his own mother, a frail old woman that was brought in before him to the stake. And so the king said, let the punishment begin. She was supposed to receive lashes from the whip. And supposedly, this story goes, he stood up from his throne, laid off his robe, laid off his crown, went over to the stake, and wrapped himself around his mother's body and said, begin the lashes. And so the wrath of the king was laid upon the king himself. He took the lashes for his mother instead of her. I think some would say that would be an illustration of the appeasement of the wrath of God. That in the end, and I'm not one who believes in substitution theory of of, uh, of atonement, but something like that happened. That Christ figured it out that the lashing and the punishment would have to be made because of the nature of his own righteousness, but that he himself would take the lashes for us to shield us from the wrath that we could not bear. His mother couldn't bear that beating, but he could. And so this is an illustration, I think, of this. So Jesus says, I come to give my life a ransom for many. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to buy you back. This is the purpose. It's not, as we would say, uh, social improvement. Or it's not a revolution, an economic revolution that Christ... He wasn't just a revolutionary. He doesn't say that. What he says is this. This is a spiritual purpose. A personal spiritual purpose that he had. So much different and better than what the world wants to make of Christ today. And you see, this is illustrated again in Matthew 1... When the angel talks to Joseph about this son who Mary is going to have. Not your son, Joseph, but Mary's son that comes from me. She says, and she will bring forth a son. God says he will bring forth a son through the angel. And you shall call his name Jesus. Tell, here's his name. What Jesus means? God saves. Jehovah saves. And he, for he will save his people for their sins. That's why his name is Jesus, because it means he will save his people from their sins. How is that done? By a baby being born with flesh to come into the world and live as a man and die as a man, be raised up as a man in a human body. And this was all done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So God came and was with us. How was he with us? In what form? Was he a spirit walking around? He was a man. In fact, Isaiah even says, in the only passage we have about what Jesus looked like, that there was nothing special about him. There was nothing comely or beautiful about him. Nothing that we should desire him based on his appearance. He was an ordinary looking person. And that's why he came. That's how he came. You even find this in Luke chapter 2. Hear about the actual birth and in the country there were shepherds or in that same area region there were shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. Behold an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people not just to you Jews but to all people 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's a Savior. Savior from what? From social injustice or whatever? No. To save you from your own sins. Regardless of your all your other individual traits. You find, it, you find in Luke 2.25, here eight days after Jesus was born, they bring Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, just like the law says. They bring him to the temple there, and there are two people he meets. And quickly, Anna, an older lady who uh, praises God because of she sees Christ, and then this man, Simeon, an old man who had been praying that he would live to see the Messiah come. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Capitals. I think the translators are right. This consolation of Israel is the Christ, and they capitalize it here. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he was an old man. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. I can now depart because I have seen the salvation that has come through this man. Before you let people tell you something different about who Jesus is, and what he is about, what he was about, you need to understand what the scriptures say about it. And that's often a part that is missing from the Christmas story, as we call it today. People get caught up in in uh, wise men and camels. And or sorry, but in Australia, they had a problem because they had three or four camels in a nativity display, and they escaped and ran off into the into the neighborhood. And people were having a panic attack on the highways because there's camels walking around. And anyway, these are the kind of things that people get excited about they don't get excited about this kind of story though in john here's jesus now later in life hanging on the cross you can read a couple different accounts of him on the cross and in john 19 it says so when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and bowing his head he gave up the spirit now, Mark has a little different take on this. He says, Mark is apparently Peter's eyewitness account. Mark was younger than Peter and is maybe a relative of his, but, but he wrote this out, and he says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. What was said in the loud voice in English is three words. It is finished. In Greek, it is tetelestai, one word. It all is one word, finished. And we get the word, for example, telescope from that. That is the end of something. It, a telescope lets you see to the end or out there. And this is what Jesus says. All this other stuff that's been going on since Adam and Eve were in the garden and the prophecies that were made, all the history of Israel, everything God did to save his people, all the way down through Christ and all of Christ's life, Jesus said, it's finished. Even though it says Jesus was born in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem. We'll just leave that where it is. Anyway, 
it doesn't end there. People get excited about little babies. It doesn't end there. That isn't the purpose. That, that had to happen. There's very little emphasis given overall to the birth of Christ in the whole thing at the end. Because what happened at the end of Christ's life, the crucifixion and resurrection, had the birth had to happen, but that wasn't the end of it. The finishing part of it was at the cross and what happened later. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you first of all that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He doesn't mention His birth. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, and after that He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. What Paul is saying here is if you want to know the gist of all of this, I'm going to tell you what God told me. It was delivered to me, and I'm going to deliver it to you. And that is that Christ was born as the Son of God, and he died on the cross, and he was raised up on the third day. That's the gist of it all. No, what, what, so I ask you now, what was it that was raised up? Christ's spirit? No. The body that had been prepared for Christ from the beginning was raised up. And Christ, the, the Lord, the spirit of Christ, God's spirit inhabited that body. The Son of God inhabited that body and grew up with it. It was crucified. Him being part of him, put in a tomb, and it was raised up on the third day without ever decaying at all. Changed into a different kind of body before their eyes. Because after the resurrection, the disciples knew it was Jesus, but they didn't always recognize him, who he was. But then they, when they looked at him, they realized who it was because it was different but the same. I don't know the mystery, but John says, we don't know exactly how he'll appear, but we know we shall be like him in First John. We know we'll be like him when we're raised up. And so this resurrection is the thing, is the end result of all this. And the resurrection is the resurrection of the body. Now, there are lots and lots of high-powered, educated preachers out there and other people who call themselves Christians with lots of degrees and titles after the name who will tell you, well, no, there was no physical resurrection. Uh, That can't happen because... It's never happened before, so it really can't happen. It was just a spiritual resurrection. The resurrection of an idea. The resurrection of a movement. Here are people that were depressed because Christ died. And Christ, God revived their spirits. And so that's the resurrection. They, got, they, they belong to the major denominations around the world who teach this kind of thing. They don't always tell it directly like that to the people in the pews. They pretend that they believe in a bodily resurrection, but they don't. Be aware of that. The Bible speaks of this bodily resurrection that Christ had because his body was given in the beginning. Here it is in the end. And, and Romans even says this, as we'll conclude. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, going through all this, we can't go through all this in detail, but what this is saying then is that this death, burial, and resurrection of Christ becomes the pattern for our salvation. All of that thing about Jesus, the Messiah saving the people from their sins, Jesus saying, I came as a ransom for all, all the things that were made, read earlier in the sermon are all, are all pointing to this. The means by which that, which that is accomplished is by you joining yourself to Christ in pattern of the death of his body, the burial of his body, and the resurrection of his body. And that will bring, bring you into a state of salvation and forgiveness. Many people dismiss that. Once again, just like they dismiss the physical resurrection of Christ, they dismiss this spiritual resurrection that we have to undergo to become a Christian. And they say it occurs a lot of other ways. This is how the Bible says that new life, to walk in newness of life. They'll talk to you about being born again, but they won't discuss the process of being born again very accurately because it involves baptism. And although they even sometimes call themselves Baptists, they don't really believe in baptism like the Bible says to believe it. So be careful about this, I warn you. But I also exhort you to follow this example. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was born into the world? as a human being in that manger in Bethlehem, well, then you all probably also believe that he lived the life and he was eventually put to death for his teaching and for who he was, and he was buried and raised up again. And if you believe that, why do you think that's important? Well, you know it's why it's important, because just what it says about him, he shall save his people from their sins. He came to give his life a ransom for all. That's why it's important. And guess who's in that all there? You are. I am. This verse here, the last one we read here, and there's many others, tells you how to be joined together with him in that resurrection and new life. You want a new life? Here you can have it. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Confess his name before men because you have faith that he's the Messiah. And then be baptized for the remission of your sins. Have your sins washed away. Be raised from the water to a new life. We can help you with that this morning. All you got to do is come down here to the front. We'll talk with you about it and we'll help you. And you can, by God's mercy and by God's power, be saved. Will you do that? Come to the front right now while we stand and sing.